0: and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome back to Considering Catholicism. This is kind of an exciting day because I'm sitting here with Corey. Wow, um, it's exciting to you. Well, glad. it is because we haven't <laughs> sat down together in a really well, that, long time. That,
1: that is true. I mean, over Christmas break, everybody kind of goes their own way. Well, yeah. you
0: really went your own way because well, yes. you guys had a pretty big life change.
1: Yeah, so we we had our fourth child right at the end of November, right before Thanksgiving. So I've also been a little bit more away than usual over yeah, Christmas.
0: <laughs> right, which is great. And so that's why we haven't had a lot of Corey episodes mm-hmm. lately, but here you are back. I'm back. So tell us
1: about your fourth child. Yeah, she's great. Her name is Helen. She's named after St. Helen, who people who are appreciative of the history of the church will probably be familiar with. She's doing great. My wife is doing great. We're just in that phase where you don't get as much sleep as you'd like, and huh. you're taking care of small children all the time. So we've, we've had a bit of a break, but I'm excited to be back on the podcast.
0: Right. And this week, this coming Sunday, is yeah, our w- baptism, right? Exactly,
1: yes, this this very Sunday.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So, Corey is back, and what we're going to do is record a few episodes this week, in fact, three this week, mm-hmm. kind of a little mini-series, and they'll be released over the next month. But we're going to record three today, and here's the little mini-series. I get so many emails from listeners where they talk about how many of them are attracted to Catholicism right but then there are for various reasons hurdles and hesitations and things that they have to sort of work through sure And they kind of fall in three categories. Um, The first and the obvious one that we talk about all this time and I think that people assume is that everything is sort of a doctrinal hurdle, Mm -hmm. right? Like I got to work through the authority of scripture and the canon and the tradition and I got to work through Mary and and the the sacraments and all that kind of stuff. And those are big hurdles, intellectual hurdles. But what I found is for so many converts, those in a lot of ways are the easier things to get through because they're rational, they're intellectual, they sort of lend themselves to, study and discussion and you can kind of and I'll, I'll get i got an email just yesterday from somebody who said they've been listening to the podcast and they had a number of doctrinal things so that's one thing and yeah. we're, we'll talk about those but i think there's two other sort of hurdles or hesitations that are not as obvious mm-hmm. the other one is for lack of a better word the um, the Catholic Church's brand and particularly some of its historical baggage sure okay sure so you'll see people here say well what about the Crusades and what about how they persecuted Galileo and what about the Dark Ages
1: and the Inquisition and, the Inquisition
0: and, yeah. and this and that and then you'll get into the the abuse scandals, right, right? right? And these priests or these cardinals were raping boys or whatever, right? You go down that whole thing. And so I can't trust the Catholic Church and I can't trust its leadership. So that's a hurdle. Even if you agree with the doctrinal stuff, there's a lot of people who just don't trust the leadership and right. they and can't the take that step. Can't get over that. Yeah. And then the third one is cultural because Catholicism is a subculture, right? There's a subculture for Everything, right? There's mm-hmm. a video game subculture. There's a, a model train subculture. There's a whatever. And Catholicism has its own subculture and its own sort of looks and feels and cues and patterns and behaviors. And a lot of that is going to feel somewhat strange or foreign or alien. And or off-putting in off, many cases. And off-putting yeah. to people who are not used to that subculture. And so uh, I think all of those things are true. And you can, you can get over some of those hurdles, but be stuck on others. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do over the next three episodes is we're going to take those in reverse order. We're actually going to start today by talking about the cultural barriers, the cultural mm-hmm. hurdles that people have to get over. Because, again, I, I meet so many people or I get so many emails from people who say, that's the thing that like, I'm attracted to the intellectual part, but mm-hmm. it just all feels a little weird to me. Or I'm attracted to it, but I have a spouse who just feels like right. Catholicism is kind of weird and they're not comfortable with the church. So, we're going to start there. And then in the next episode, we're going to take on the historical baggage, the Crusades and the Inquisition and the, the priest abuse scandal and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then we'll end with the doctrine thing. So, that's going to be kind of three episodes in a row.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. And That's a lot, lot to cover. So, I'm sure we won't exhaust it. No, but. no, no, no,
0: no, no. <laughs> So let's start today with this whole thing about Catholic culture mm-hmm. and why it it can be a hurdle for people. What are some of your thoughts about that? Because you and I are both converts, mm-hmm. we're adult converts, and we were both raised in Protestant evangelical worlds or spent time in those worlds. And I remember when I was going through... Kind of the process of deciding to enter the Catholic Church, and you were going through that thing at the same time. Right. And I remember we lot had a lot of conversations along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, well, wow, what is this and what is this? And we were trying to work through mm-hmm. some of that. And some of it did feel a little. I don't know if or "weird" is the right
1: word. Sure, In some cases, sure.
0: it felt weird. We used to joke about <laughs> weird Catholic things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you why don't you go? I've been talking too much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that it's something that. Everybody who's approaching the Catholic Catholic Church is going to encounter to one degree or another, but I think it's something that a lot of people don't anticipate or they're not ready for it. Culture can be very invisible, especially if you're in it. If you are a Christian in some other community, if you're an evangelical or if you're in one of the mainline denominations, those have cultures too. They have subcultures. They're unique to, to those churches, and it can be invisible to us. We don't notice it. I think a lot of Catholics don't realize that they are in a particular culture and that people outside of that culture are going to think that what they're doing is weird or, or just incomprehensible. They, they don't know what to do with it. And uh, so... Just, this can come as a surprise, I think, to some people.
0: Just as a quick aside there, I think it's a good point about um, sort of credo-Catholics who grew up in it mm-hmm. not seeing it. So ever since I entered the Catholic Church, I may ask a little bit of a Rorsach test or some kind of a test for people's uh, personality or sense of humor, mm-hmm. because from time to time I'll I'll point out those things that seem weird to outsiders. Mm-hmm. And I know credo-Catholics get super offended right? Like, how dare you insult? And I go, look, (laughs) just telling you, it, it, everything right. from the bingo nights to the fish fry to the to but, this, but
1: it, that's it, very natural because it's it's totally natural to be defensive and and to love one's own culture and to some extent think that other people's culture is weird that's just kind of the tribalism built into humanity that we have to work with
0: it's the ability to sort of step out of yourself a little bit and see it through other people's eyes mm-hmm. right yeah. like when we when we were part of the evangelical contemporary evangelical world that was, as you point out, that had its own subculture, right? So mm-hmm. I saw something on Babylon B the other day about a pastor hires architectural firm to bring back that timeless 90s mall look <laughs> yes. in building his new building or something like that, right? And when you go in there and there's a, it's not an Arthex, it's a welcome zone mm-hmm. or whatever, and then there's the Starbucks.
1: And, yeah, the coffee is right there. And yeah,
0: and then there's the whole singing groups with the big screens. And that's its whole, it, it, that's weird. I mean, if you hadn't been in that, it it just comes off as super weird oh, yeah. as, oh, yeah. as well. So I get it, but we all have to, I think, have the ability to sort of step out of ourselves a
1: little bit and sort of see it through somebody else's yeah, it, eyes. It's, and, it's a matter of self-awareness, and it's a, and it's a matter of, uh, of empathy or being able to relate to other people. So let's talk about some of those things
0: that are a little weird or strange or odd to non-Catholics about the Catholic Church or Catholicism or Catholic culture. And let's think of uh, maybe two kinds of people, mm-hmm. right? The one would be somebody who's a total secularist, sure. right? And They're attracted to the church for whatever reason, whether they're going through, but they don't really have prior church experience, mm-hmm. so they're coming from outside Christianity itself. And then you have the kind of convert who's attracted to it, or potential convert, who has spent their time in the Protestant world, particularly Mm -hmm. the Protestant evangelical world, who maybe is attracted to some things about Catholicism, but kind of turned off by others. So let's go through that a little bit and talk about
1: why is it that Catholicism can feel strange and odd to both those people. Yeah, well, I, I think one way to approach this, because there's lots of different planes, I guess, in which you encounter the culture of a group. But the the main one for any Christian group is going to be their, their worship service. And so, in the, in the case of Catholicism, that's going to be going to the Mass. If you're a secular person, going to the Mass is going to be pretty weird. You're not going to know what's going on. Can you would think of other places in contemporary society in which you go in, you're not... I mean, you can talk to people on the way in, but you're not really supposed to. And you sit down, and there are people around you, but they're they're doing things, and you don't know what they're doing, and maybe there's some music being played, and then all of a sudden, things start, and everybody knows what's going on, but you don't know what's going on. You've never heard these responses. You don't know what to say. You don't, you're not aware of the structure of the thing. You've never probably been in a circumstance in which somebody just gets up and proclaims a sacred text. And you're, what are you supposed to do with that? And then, of course, you get into the, the, the rite of the Eucharist, and especially if, if you aren't familiar with sacramental theology yet or, or whatnot, that's just going to look like, like mumbo-jumbo magic or something. So, I, I totally get why someone coming from outside a church perspective at all, this is just going to be like, what are these people doing? This is kind of crazy. Yeah,
0: I think at one level that the aesthetics of the thing mm. are, are really odd, especially to secular people, but really also to Protestants, right? The aesthetics. I mean, contrast a, a Calvinist Reformed church with mm-hmm. a Catholic church, a really well-designed Catholic church, or contrast just secular, any kind of secular environment with a reverent Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And the aesthetics are weird. Like you say, you come in and you sit down and then... Maybe some music starts, right? There's a pipe organ or there's whatever. And then these people come down and there's a guy wearing a robe. Mm-hmm. Nobody wears a robe, right, maybe right. judges, right? And he's wearing a colored robe and they're, and they're carrying a book and holding it up and doing all this kind of stuff. And, and, and the design of the interior of the church, Ed and I did an episode a ways back called Yeah, Yeah. Why is Catholic Art So Weird? And uh, a lot of Catholic imagery and art, if you're not familiar with it or don't know how to read it, it it kind of looks odd. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these kind of weird statues and paintings and frescoes and like the aesthetics of the whole thing are really odd. And then like you say, the aesthetics of the mass, the priest doing what he's doing, what appears to be mumbo jumbo Mm -hmm. of all of the Eucharistic prayer. There's just a lot of things about it that and maybe if that they use the the smells and bells, so they're incensing and everything right, right, right. else. Right,
1: I And mean, the whole thing just kind of assaults your senses. Right, and it would be foreign to your experience. You wouldn't right. you wouldn't be familiar with these kinds of actions from other parts of your life. Yeah, um, and, and I think that would be equally true to. One degree or another from coming from a Protestant background, especially from a non-denominational background, but but even other Protestant groups. I mean, you're you're going to be encountering a different kind of order of service with different emphases than what you're used to. Um, a lot of um, non-denominational Christians will be used to it's mostly the reading and then the preaching from the Bible. Um, that is, of course, part of the Catholic Mass, but it's not the it's not the bulk of the time, and it's arranged in a different way. It's much more formal and ritualistic than it would be in a non-denominational church. The music's going to be different. That's another big part of like a, of an evangelical or non-denominational worship service. The kind of music is going to be quite different. And so, at the very least, you're likely to feel uncomfortable or out of place.
0: Yeah, and, and then you continue with like what you were saying, with the people and just how they interact with each other and how they dress and, you know, what they do afterwards or don't do afterwards. They're not going out to the welcome zone and having Starbucks or they're... And then there's all the things that happen in the week, the the fish fries and the bingo nights and the Mm -hmm. the prayer cards. I think one of the things you and I were talking about before we started the recorder is that for a lot of people, or, or, or there was a time... Especially a lot of Americans encountered, who had grown up in American Protestantism, Catholicism felt foreign because a lot of catholic churches were immigrant churches Sure, sure. so they were italians or polish or spanish so you
1: weren't just entering a different religious culture you were entering a, a different national or ethnic culture yeah you well. are going to be with the italians or, or with the irish or whatnot right but you go to the polish and they've got the Puchkis and they got mm-hmm.
0: the this and they got that and there's all these like weird subtle little cultural things that are different right mm-hmm. um you know, you can find 10,000 of these, these little things about how people eat and dress and behave and all of their little cultural, I don't know, quaint cultural idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. And if you were an American Protestant, and there was a time in American Protestantism where there was a fear of Catholic immigrants, right? This is, yes. as you know, in the, in the 19th century, there's this whole thing about... Well into the
1: 20th. Well into
0: yeah. the 20th, but, you know, really in the 19th century, it was super huge because these huge waves of immigrants mm-hmm. coming over, and there was this huge fear that all of these immigrants from the old world, right, uh, Italians, Germans, Polish, whatever, uh, were going to come over here and dilute America and dilute American culture, and there was was really kind of nasty, some of the anti-immigrant stuff. And Catholicism, if you go back to those old Thomas Nash cartoons Hmm. and stuff, it always made fun of Catholicism and their sort of weird cultural things because it felt like this strange cult You know, the strange foreign cult that was coming in here. And invading, in a certain sense. And invading. And at that time, of course, when the mass was in Latin, then it was even weird because they're speaking other languages, they're speaking their native language, which it wasn't English, and then the mass was in Latin, the priests were from foreign countries. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that there's this reflexive thing as a part of American culture that Catholicism in a lot of ways, feels especially if you're a Protestant, a good American Protestant, it feels foreign and weird, and you're there's a default suspicion of it. Like mm-hmm. I'm suspicious of what all this is, and am I am I getting sucked into something that's unbiblical? And right, mm-hmm. you
1: know, yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know if there's anything to this, but it's a little bit ironic because as Americans, we often pride ourselves as being a sort of melting pot and sort of a, a mixture of cultures that we're from. We're we're comfortable with our neighbors being different from us, but it doesn't always extend to to religious practice. And I think the Catholic Church in particular, historically, and even today, has kind of been considered as other from mainstream American culture.
0: You know, it, it's interesting how aesthetics and immigrant cultures can just kind of give you a sort of a weird, queasy feeling, right? Mm. So I know you know where I'm talking about, over by the school, and next to the school, there's this Laotian right. Next, Buddhist, next to our local Catholic school, local Catholic yeah. school. Next door, there's this Laotian Buddhist. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's a temple, but
1: some place of worship. Yeah. yeah,
0: and it's got all those strange aesthetics from Southeast Asia: the gold leaf and the kind of the roof lines and the architecture, right, right. and then all the colors, the banners, the reds and the yellows and the oranges, and and it sort of assaults you because you look at it and you go, "This this just doesn't look anything like." american or western european it it just the at a level of aesthetics it feels weird and and then if you were to walk into a place like that it puts you you're not at ease Mm -hmm. right so i think people that i've tried to introduce to catholicism protestant friends of mine or protestant relatives and i've said hey why don't you come to mass with me and they come and they go this just kind of creeps me out a little bit because Mm -hmm. it is aesthetically and everything else it, it it just feels
1: hard. Yeah, and, and, and that's a natural response. I think it's something we can work through, but I, I don't want to give the impression to the listener that we're just, like, hammering on them for feeling that way. I think everybody feels that way in different kinds of contexts. No, my yeah. whole point of this episode, and I've been trying to
0: make, is that I think we have to, as Catholics, I think we have to step out of ourselves a little bit and see it through their eyes and understand that that is, that's the whole point of this episode, that that is a hurdle or hesitation they have. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there was a time in the 80s, and in the '90s, where some Catholics in some parishes and some priests had this idea that if they sort of Americanized it and took all of the weird immigrant edges off it, made it look like any other any Protestant other church, church right? Sure. It's not really much different than going to a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church or any other thing else. And they it got rid of a lot of those distinctive Catholic cultural elements. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you and I have been working through um, where we've we've been trying to work together for a number of years uh, at our parish to bring some of that back, Mm -hmm. to embrace that Catholic identity a little bit,
1: whereas it had been like almost sandpapered off. Yeah, and, and it's a give and take because the Catholic Church is universal. That's what Catholic means. Um, it can and should be able to take root in any society, in any culture, and there's going to be a certain amount of what's fashionably called enculturation. The Catholic Church doesn't have to look exactly like it does in my suburban West Michigan parish as it does in an urban parish in Germany or in China or, or Cameroon or, or whatnot. There are going to be differences. The culture is going to make differences, but there's also the, the essentials um, that are going to be the same uh, in all of those different parishes and all those different places. And so, there's a certain extent to which it's only right and proper and natural that my parish here should take on some of the cultural trappings of the people who live here without sacrificing what is essentially and distinctly Catholic as well and is universal and comes from the tradition that's been handed on to us from the past. See, I think we have to be super careful with that Mm.
0: because as we talk about the church of 20 centuries, 24 time zones, two hemispheres, every people, every tribe, language, nation, whatever. I mean, the point of the Catholic church is that it's Catholic, which means universal. Right. And it's universal not only across space, but across time. And the continuity of embracing that universal culture. So where Catholicism within a local community has tried to contextualize itself too much to that, Mm -hmm. it sort of compromises its Catholicity, and it sort of uh, compromises its its integrity as being that. Something that we've talked about in the past, G.K. Chesterton's Democracy of the Dead, Mm -hmm. embracing all those who came before. So if you look at certain aspects of that, like architecture— So we've lived through in the United States from the 80s, 70s and 80s, designing all of these Catholic churches that don't look like Catholic churches, Mm -hmm. all this modernist architecture that removed all of those timeless architectural, artistic, aesthetic elements. Of what a great catholic church is and it's interesting because when you go to a really beautiful church a cathedral or something or you go to europe and mm-hmm. you see the great basilicas or whatnot people are, are kind of breathless they even even an quote-unquote ordinary tourist who goes to paris goes into you know notre dame mm-hmm. and is like just in awe of this place and, you know, in the 80s and 70s and 80s, 90s, we built a lot of churches here that stripped all of that out, and it stopped taking people's breath away, which is one problem. But the other thing is it was a discontinuity. It broke right. our relationship with the past. So part of it is is reintroducing those architectural, aesthetic, artistic elements, but also the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So during that same time, then we stopped – playing sacred music right you know as you well know right i mean vatican ii said that the primary place should be given to gregorian chant wow well, mm-hmm. and the pipe organ yeah and the pipe organ well how, how much does that happen right so mm-hmm. we got guitar masses and we got bongo masses and we got all of this with contemporary music and so once again we shed our catholic culture our catholic identity And that was the liturgy, and and on and on and on, and we began to sort of shed those distinctives. And I think that a lot of what's going on right now is that we saw that as we shed those distinctives, Catholic parishes shrank, Mm -hmm. and
1: they shrank because we were no longer connected. Yeah, use the word continuity, which is key here. I I want to choose my words carefully. We're not trying to adapt the Church to... Any particular local culture to to make it less herself, where we're bringing those cultures into the into the body of the church, and so if we do that in a way that is is a rupture with the tradition and is in discontinuity, discontinuity, sorry, there we go, with that tradition, then that is going to be bad and that is going to cause problems but if we do if we do it in a way that is in continuity with it that that is culture thinking and acting with the mind and the heart of the church then that's going to produce a lot of beautiful catholic culture ac- across different times and places i mean you talked about like sacred architecture the church because it originated in the Roman empire started with once it was free to build churches started mostly with the Roman basilica style. And then in the West, you have the development of say Romanesque or Gothic. And you, you have that because the church came into contact with these Germanic cultures that were pagan that were then converted and developed these things in continuity. It went, I mean, Eastern churches that are equally Catholic and equally beautiful and in continuity with the tradition look different. So it, I think we're probably getting farther afield than we want to from the central thing. But but (laughs) I mean, I
0: think, you know, you made the point there, too, about rupture and continuity. Mm -hmm. Because if we did a whole thing here on Catholic architecture, for example, right, right, through church architecture of the ages, would point out that the basilica transitioned into the Romanesque, which transitioned into the Gothic, which Mm -hmm. transitioned into the Baroque, which transitioned into the Neo-Gothic or whatever. And one of the things about those transitions is that they weren't ruptures. They took elements from the prior thing and and brought them forward right. so that you can walk into a neo-Gothic cathedral and walk into a Roman basilica and feel that there's some kind of continuity. The connection. spirit of the thing. The spirit of yeah. the thing is, that the essence of the thing is the same. I think one thing why the Catholic culture feels foreign is that it always will be foreign in any particular place. Because it is the church of 20 centuries and 24 time zones and every people, tribe, language, and nation, it is n- not a culture of any one particular place. Right. So there are Italian Catholics and there are Filipino Catholics and there are African Catholics and there are English Catholics and American Catholics and Canadian Catholics, right? But in any one of those particular places, it's not... American Catholicism, or it's not owned by that culture. No, yeah. and it isn't defined by that culture. It is always going to be because it is universal and it spans all of them. In any particular place, it will always have a sort of foreign feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's that's right. And as you said before, in the American context, oftentimes it it took on specific foreign feels, like this feels Italian or this feels Polish or, or whatnot most of that has gone away now predominantly well except for recent immigrant groups like there are you know Hispanic parishes now and that's great but a lot of catholic parishes feel just that they're that's an american catholic parish now but that foreignness hasn't gone away it's still there because the the church is in a sense eternal and outside of of time in a sense it, it's incarnate in any particular place but I mean, to, to some extent, it should feel not totally in line with, with any of us.
0: Yeah, and I think for any one parish anywhere in the world to insist that it all be about them mm-hmm. is a priori an incorrect insistence, an assumption, right? It's not about you. It's about you embracing Catholicism. Let's let's kind of get this
1: yeah, back to a little bit because
0: yeah. let's 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 bring this back to sort of the existential thing for the listener sure, out there sure. who is either you know a person who has a secular background but is trying to think about becoming a Catholic or a Protestant who's thinking about becoming a Catholic or or a Catholic who's trying to convince their spouse to come or whatever their kids to come. How does one overcome or, or clear those hurdles in, in as much as Catholicism is just going to feel different than what you're used to?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think— to begin with, just have patience with it and don't get frustrated with it because it's it's only natural that there's going to be some discomfort. And two, I think, is just to be curious to 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 look into things. Um, if if you're going to be encountering a different culture, say you're going to go on vacation in a foreign country where they speak a different language and they have a different culture and history, you're going to do some re- basic research at least. You're you're going to probably learn some how to ask where the bathroom is and how to get to the subway and to the restaurant and like you're not just for practical concerns, but also I I think because it's just a matter of courtesy that you're, you're you're engaging with a new culture. You're going to, you're going to try to do it on their terms, especially if you're thinking of assimilating into that culture, which would be one way of thinking of becoming Catholic that you're assimilating into your local Catholic culture. Um, some of that responsibility is on you. I think the responsibility also needs to be on the cat, the regular Catholic in the pew at the parish to, to help people who are in that position. And what I'm definitely not arguing and what I know you're not arguing is that we just water down the Catholic church in in our particular parishes and make it really seeker friendly to use that buzzword. Yeah. So, no. And, and, yeah. And, yeah. In fact, I mean, my position is
0: like diametrically opposite that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole point of this podcast, the whole point of, of where I'm coming from is that I want to embrace the church of mm-hmm. the ages. I want to embrace the universal Catholic church in all of its diversity and Catholicity and, and again, not just the church of the 21st century all around the world, but the church of all of the centuries. Mm-hmm. And And anyone who's listened to my – when I shared my journey, that was how I – I got here was starting to look at the ancient church and being impressed with the medieval church. When I was in Ireland on the Rock at Skellig Michael and the Beehive Huts going, what is this all about? How do I understand this and how do I embrace it? So, But but what I would say is that you can wade into the shallow end of of a pool, Mm -hmm. okay? And I think you have to distinguish between those things that are essential right? So you're going to go to, if you're going to go to a Catholic mass, you're going to stand up, sit down, kneel at times. You're going to make the sign of the cross. You're going to do little gestures and, and say ritualized things. That's just part of the mass. And you're going to do that. And you're going to go up and take communion. If you're allowed to take communion or go up and ask for a blessing, or you're going to do this, those things are essential. I think there are parts of Catholic culture that are wonderful, But they're they're quaint, beautiful cultural elements. I've never been to a bingo night, and I have no interest. (laughs) I probably will never go to a bingo night. I probably wouldn't go to a bingo night if it was across the street and I had nothing going on that night. It doesn't interest me, and I don't see bingo night as essential to my Catholicism. I think Mm -hmm. it's a cultural element mm-hmm. um, that I choose not to sort of get into too much. And you and I can talk about some of those other kinds of quaint Catholic things, which are which are beautiful. Some of them are liturgical, some of them are sacramental, some of them are devotional. But I guess what I would say is you, you got to figure out what are the essentials. You have to you have to embrace the essentials, but you can give yourself a break and kind of wade
1: into the shallow end of the pool and all the other stuff. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think part of it is that encountering a new culture can be overwhelming because there are so many elements to it, and it can be difficult to distinguish right off the bat which things are essential and which are not, especially if you have limited knowledge from the outside. I I can think back from—so I didn't grow up Catholic. I did have a, a Catholic grandmother, and she attended bingo nights. We don't have bingo at our parish, but—and as an eight-year-old or something, I might have thought, oh, Catholic churches are the ones that have bingo nights. Yeah. But that's not in any way— essential to Catholicism. I, I think it's probably actually a, a quirk of American parishes. I don't think they have bingo nights in China or Cameroon or or whatnot. And so part of it is taking the the initiative to figure out what's essential. And then, like I said before, I think Catholics need to be self-aware enough and prepared enough to be able to help people understand what's essential and not to treat, not to major in minors, to be like, well, you ha- you have to embrace my particular devotional practices or uh, my particular ideas about parish social life or something in order to be Catholic.
0: Well, let me give you a good example, and I'm going to poke the bear here uh, with you <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I'm going to intentionally kind of poke at you a little bit. Oh, great. Um, well, just to prompt a reaction because it's fun, but mm-hmm. also to make a point, okay? Yep. So one of the things that you've done such an amazing job of at this parish is introducing the people of the parish to all of these wonderful, traditional, and and I would say in some
1: cases kind of quaint cultural devotions. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how you're using the word quaint. That can be a little demeaning in some ways. It can,
0: but, but yeah. things that, like, I wouldn't say they're sacramentally required. Mm-hmm. They are cultural, you know, features mm-hmm. that okay and so i'm going to poke you on one in particular just because it came up this weekend sure right so there was this whole thing about the blessing of the chalk so that you could write epiphany epiphany uh and so that you could write on the doorframe of your house this little formula of the first letters of the three wise men it's really not doctrinal but right Mm -hmm. but it's a sort of a tradition it's a beautiful somewhat you don't like the word quaint, somewhat kind of de pious tradition. Yeah, it's a
1: pious tradition. It's a sacramental. Um, yeah, it, it, okay. the church has determined that this is something that we can bless. Sure. There's an official blessing for it. But
0: this week, I was yes. sitting there and I was watching people walk out, and about half the people wanted to pick up the chalk mm-hmm. and and go home and write on their. Door frame, and half the people didn't mm-hmm. and so what i would say is that's an example of some people are going to go this may be just something that it's cool but it's something that maybe doesn't float my boat or it isn't something that i really want to do yet or something i want to embrace i don't want to go home and tell my spouse who's not catholic yet that i'm writing in chalk on the door whatever i guess i'm just trying to point out there are some of these things you have to embrace the liturgy you have to embrace the sacraments right that's mm-hmm. those are the essential things and some of that stuff you have to learn your way into. and oh, some, sure. some of them
1: are going to be more or less meaningful to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one, certainly not me, is going to argue that that's at the same level of importance of the, the Eucharist or, so, or something.
0: Okay, here's yeah. one that I that was all over Twitter the other day on a epi, on Epiphany, mm-hmm. right? This huge Twitter debate about king's cake. So, in some Catholic cultures, there's this kind of mm-hmm. cake that you bake with, a, like, a plastic baby in it. There are different
1: it's, kinds. And there's yeah.
0: the, these colors, and there were people, like, there was all these Catholic commenters who were going, this is the most awful thing, it tastes awful, it's weird, and I don't want to do king's cake and it was like and so others are like no no king's cake is like super important and you've got to do king's cake in your house and he goes over my dead body I think it's weird and t- it tastes bad and I don't want to do it right so I'm just trying to point out that those are the kinds of things that can feel maybe a little strange to a protestant or a secular person mm-hmm. and that's okay there's nothing wrong with king's cake but there's nothing that says that you have to go all in on those cultural things that you're not comfortable
1: with oh yeah yeah I mean I mean, I think there's a couple different layers to what we're saying here one is that if you're an if you're an outsider, as we said before, you, you need to discern what's essential and what isn't. If you're an insider, my hope, what what I try to encourage at this parish and, and what I think is good and healthy, is that there's sort of widespread buy-in on cultural practices within a, a Catholic community. That doesn't mean that it is enforced or that you can't get out the door until I give you your chalk or something <laughs> on, on Epiphany. But but I think it's good and, and healthy, a sign of a, a healthy culture that there are people who want to do the same kinds of things that are meaningful and that are related to the liturgy and and the practices of the church. But that also, like I said, doesn't mean it's going to be enforced or that somebody can't opt out of it because it's not their, not their charism, not their spirituality, et et cetera. Absolutely. In fact, over the last
0: number of years, I've encouraged you to to bring those things forward and offer them to people. That's the, I mean, I I think it's fantastic the way you're doing Mm -hmm. all that. Even if some of them I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. My point is, Sometimes the, the smallest things are the things that sort of irritate somebody. <laughs> sure. Right? It's the yeah. stone in the shoe, or it's the thing. And a lot of times I, I find that people who are kind of curious about Catholicism and moving toward it, the, the big reason they're moving toward it is they've become excited about the sacraments. They've become mm-hmm. excited about the timelessness of the liturgy. And, they, and I would say that's why you should be coming towards right. the church.
1: Don't come to the church the, because of my thing with right. the with blessed chalk. But it is. I hope it's good, but right? That's but not it, why you should be here.
0: Right? Most of them don't have a problem with that stuff Mm -hmm. it's the king's cake thing or something Mm -hmm. that they just go that just feels odd to me and a lot of times it's those are the stones in the shoe or the minor irritants that Mm -hmm. or the minor things that people just go this just feels a little different to me so Mm -hmm. I guess my point is is I think it's wonderful and fantastic that you're bringing all those things forward for people as a I hate to use the word menu, but but here's all of the richness and all of the things of all of these wonderful Catholic traditions,
1: but that we allow people to sort of find their way into those. This might be the first time that I've encountered a situation in which our American penchant for sort of consumer individualism might actually be... A good thing in this one very specific case yeah. is because we are very good at Ameri- as americans at distinguishing between what's for me and what's not for me and in a lot of cases that gets us in terrible trouble there's a lot of ways that should not be applied to the church at all but i think we're, we're pretty good at saying okay they're doing that thing i'm not going to do that thing and it's going to be okay Well, I think it goes back to that principle of you don't
0: want to major in the minors, Mm -hmm. right? And there are a lot of people, let's take this out of Catholicism, there are a lot of people in any subculture who begin to major in the minors. They begin to define the thing by all the little having the right fork at the table and having the right kind of king's cake. I mean, you and I both know people who, oblivious to doctrine, Mm -hmm. Doctrinal things like I don't even know anything about Catholic doctrine. I don't care, but I'm super into the king's cake or the or the procession or the this or, or just this is the way that we've always done it at my parish. And why did you change that? Thing? Well, yeah, because yeah. W- th- their attachment, right? They grew up in, with something, and they're they're very attached to those cultural things. And again, mm-hmm. you could point that out about Protestants. You could point out about secular people. You can point out anything. You become very attached to your your cultural elements and. To some degree, there are some of those folks that are almost oblivious to the central things. Like, you and I both know, I could talk to some people, and they're like, I've been a credo-catholic, I've been a Catholic for 50, 60 years, and I don't know Mm -hmm. the first thing about Catholic doctrine, and I'm oblivious about the liturgy, but I'm really into the bingo night or the king's cake or the right. chalk or whatever the thing is, right? That's my my thing. That's kind of where I live. And I think that w- those are the elements that for a lot of converts or potential converts, they kind of come in and they're super excited about, usually, about those doctrinal things, about the sacraments, about the big things of Catholicism, and they get hung up on a lot of this stuff. And a lot of times they meet credo-Catholics who are, have blown it out of proportion or have become fixated or their Catholicism consists in doing those mm-hmm cultural things, and a lot of times it,
1: it it feels maybe a little bit off-putting to some context. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think this is a temptation for anybody in any culture, and it, it's probably a good examination of conscience. I, I envision that there are probably people who are from a non-denominational or evangelical church who would, of course, rightly say that their beliefs about Jesus and 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 how they should live out their faith are the central thing. But if you put them in a situation in which the music is not like a rock concert or something that would make them very uncomfortable because that's become unconsciously central to their practice of the faith. And the same thing could be said of, of a Catholic attached to any particular form of music. And maybe that's a bad example because there are of course better and worse kinds of music for, for the liturgy. But yeah, I I think it's just an invitation to give other people grace in this area and examine your own assumptions about what's yeah. central my and isn't point central. is to yeah.
0: kind of criticize anybody the whole point yeah. of the episode is to say to you if you're listening and you're curious about catholicism you're attracted to some elements of it but mm-hmm. there's some kind of just parts of catholic culture or the experience of coming into the catholic church that feel a little weird and and make you a little bit uncomfortable try to focus on the the essentials Mm -hmm. the sacraments the liturgy the the big things and take your time who knows maybe 10 years from now you'll be a bingo aficionado (laughs) 10 years from now you'll be baking king's cakes on epiphany 10 years from now you'll be writing chalk on your doorframe that's okay you might get there and that's okay but you don't have to jump into the deep end of the pool on all of those elements especially if they make it harder for you to Mm -hmm. focus on the big things
1: well yeah because because at the end of the day it's all about you know our relationship with Jesus Christ through his church. And if things that aren't essential help us in that regard, then that's very good and praiseworthy. And if they're not helping, then we need to take another look. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, well, thanks. So, Corey, that's now the cultural
0: hesitations, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. And and by the way, if you're listening and you've got some particular cultural Mm -hmm. hang-ups or hesitations or hurdles that you'd like to hear us address, please write me at considering catholicism at gmail.com uh, tell me your story so many of you write in every day and but write me your questions and write me the things that you're struggling with because we'll come back and address them in a future episode mm-hmm. and in the next episode we're going to talk about the baggage and the perceived baggage of the catholic church the crusades and the inquisition and the this mm. and that and the priest abuse scandal so you're going to want to hear that absolutely In the meantime, would you do a couple things for me? Three things. First of all, would you subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast service you use? In the last couple of months, Spotify has just pulled way out into the lead as the number one download source for our podcast. But whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon or iHeart or whatever you're using, would you subscribe to it? Because the more subscriptions we get, the higher we go up in their search algorithms. And the second thing is rating it. So if you like the podcast, almost every one of those services will let you give a rating, one to five stars and many of them let you give a review. Would you please do that? Because again, the the more ratings we have and the higher ratings we have, the more visible we become to search. And three, would you consider would you consider going to our website, considering Catholicism.com. You can look around there. You can find all of the episodes archived and categorized by topic. And uh, you can also support the podcast, which we would appreciate as we try to grow this ministry and help more people to consider Catholicism. So appreciate all of you who have been supporting, and it seems like so many people are stepping up and helping us to support and grow this. So I'm excited about where we're going in 2024. But in any case, thank you. And Corey, by the time this episode comes out, Helen will have been baptized. Yes. But our prayers and blessings on that. Thank and you. My wife and I won't miss it. So awesome. Okay. Blessings. Take Thanks. care.